Welcome to this week's edition of the Property Buyer and Sellers Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Hume, and I'm here to take you through the very latest news and views, hints, tips, and tricks to help you on your property journey. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. It's the Property Buyer and Sellers Podcast back as usual, giving you the latest news and some hints, tips and tricks on the property market. How are you? I hope you're well here in southwest London. We're having beautiful weather right now. And uh, I think it might be the last of the summer. Bit of an Indian summer. Let's hope so. Let's hope it continues. So let's go into the latest headlines this week. See what's going on in the UK property market. First of all, an article that caught my eye in Estate Agent Today publication online about rentals in the country. And this is across the UK, and it's an article from Strutton Parker quoting that there is evidence of growth in the rental sector of up to 25%. She goes on to say, we recently let a home in the Cotswold for £3,750 per calendar month when it was previously let out at 2200 Another was let out for 5500 up from 4100 she goes on to say the recovery in the rental market has in many ways mirrored the boom in the sales market with people looking for homes that accommodate a different set of user needs shaped by their lockdown experience. Well, we would echo that as well. You know, a lot of people are doing it for different reasons too. lack of stock and high demand are inevitably driving price growth. And this stock depletion is a result of many accidental landlords now having sold their properties. Uh, and we're echoing that too. That is where people have decided to rent their properties out because it's the easiest choice in a tough market, what we call accidental landlords, people that rented their property out because the sales market wasn't strong. But a lot of those turned around in up to June this year, where the stamp duty incentive meant that there were more buyers around and decided to take the opportunity to sell their properties. And so many of those landlords are no longer. Therefore, there's the same amount of demand especially as people now here in London are returning to the city, um, but there's less property available. And inevitably, this is leading to a lot of increases. She says stock is also being absorbed by those who are renting tactically, making them as proceedable as possible when their perfect property comes to market, a trend particularly prevalent in London amongst leavers. Eel's comments come as Zoopla reports that even more modest levels of the market, dramatic rises have been seen. Spurred on by soaring demand in major cities amid limited supply, rents are tracking at now 5% higher than a year ago across the country, excluding London. Monthly rents are averaging £790 per calendar month, up from £752 a year ago. This equates to renters paying an average increase of £456 more per year. However, the portal, Zoopla that is, insists this is not a story of rapidly declining affordability. The government's ONS or Office for National Statistics recently reported that average earnings for those in employment are rising faster than rents, with an 8.8% rise in total pay year on year to June. At a city level, Manchester, Reading and Leeds have moved from negative to positive rental growth territory, while Wigan and Mansfield are leading the pack of accelerated rental growth with double digit growth of 10.5 and 10% respectively. Meanwhile, rental declines in London have bottomed out as demand rebuilds uh, amidst the ending of lockdown and the reopening of offices and amenities, while annual rental declines reached a fall of 9.8% in London in February. They recovered to a more modest dip of 3.8% in July. And I suspect what we'll see is that completely turning around in the next three months as people return to the city, hoping, he said, that the pandemic now leaves us alone. Are we in for another wave? Well, that could change everything. So we'll have to wait and see on that. I think in the end, 
property market, like any other market, is at the mercy to some degree of the pandemic. Uh, and that continues to be the case, especially here in London. Zoopla continues saying that demand for rental properties rose by 33% in August compared to the same period last year and is tracking at 79% over the 2017 to 19 average. It says this unprecedented rate of growth is driven by post-lockdown reopening of cities and a return among tenants to the city rental landscape. While the rental market is seasonal, with July and August proving busy historically, current activity levels are unusually high, precipitated by students and returning city dwellers. That said, in August, the stock of property available to rent was around a third below where it would typically be at this time of year. The recent surge in renters has ultimately eroded supply, which was already declining. Well, this is interesting, and it goes to prove that buy-to-let still has mileage in it for those that are brave enough to invest. You know, the great thing about there's an old saying, you know, buy land, they're not making it anymore. And it's true, you know. Yes, you can, you know, build flats on a piece of land. But in the end, when you've got a big city, no matter where it is, ultimately, and I know there's talk about, you know, the death of the city and people living in the Zoom commuter, there will always be requirements for cities and the bigger cities will always have employment and that employment will largely beat any rural or outlying area. The commuter areas will be the exception to that. Places where you can quickly and easily get into the city that are affordable will be where the masses want to go and where the masses want to go, that's where the price pressure will be. So Southwest London is still a good place to invest in our view for buy to less investment. I'll come into some hints, tips and tricks as to what you should be looking for if you're investing in property in the suburbs here in and around London. On to some more headlines now. One from the Daily Express. House prices could remain elevated until summer 2022, according to new research. UK house prices have surged over the last 18 months thanks to the holiday and changing buyer sentiment. Well, I would argue with that, actually, as many of you will know, I've said for a while now, if you look worldwide, house prices have actually risen worldwide. And it's not just about the stamp duty. It is about changing buyer sentiment. It is about life changing circumstances. And it is about the Zoom nation. But it's certainly not just about the stamp duty holiday. And you've only got to look at worldwide prices to see that the trend of rising prices, not just here in the UK, if you look in America, They've had 20% rises in some cities. It's been incredibly busy over there. If you look in the rest of the world, most of the rest of the world has had huge price increases. And that's due to a complete change in motivation, changing confidence levels, all sorts of things. But it's not solely to do with the stamp duty holiday, as some would have you believe. The analysis revealed that house prices are unlikely to drop until at least June 2022, as the UK housing market follows a predictable cycle. With the market already experiencing surging price growth this summer, the data suggests prices will continue to increase until summer next year. And an article in The Times, house price growth calls as tax holiday ends. Um, this is one by the Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors. They're your friendly surveyors who do your home buyers reports and the like. And they're saying that the new listings and sales are dipped again in August, as did buyer inquiries, though house prices are still rising. The pace of growth has slowed, though. The findings suggest that property market is readjusting after a record year in which it defied the broader town downturn in the economy. The latest survey evidence inevitably points to market activity taking a breather after the flurry of sales seen before the tapered stamp duty holiday withdrawal. That said, while momentum has eased relative to an exceptionally strong stretch earlier in the year, there are still many factors likely to drive a solid market going forward. And I would agree with that. I don't think it's likely to fall next summer either. I think we're likely to find a sustained level of growth because what I suspect will happen now 
is that there will be a lack of supply uh, because the demand is so high right now as people look to change their lifestyles. So, so many people registering looking for property at the moment. Certainly in our area, we're finding that it's a ratio of at least 20 to 1. That's 20 people registering for every property that we have available. Sometimes it's more like 100 to 1. So there's plenty of demand out there. If your pricing is reasonable, you should be getting action. You should be getting buyers. Uh, London Borough is ranked by affordability, transport links and green spaces. This is uh, an article in the standard by affordable housing developer Pocket Living. And they've ranked every borough according to the availability of affordable housing price growth in a number of parks and transport facilities. Uh, what they did was ident to identify the best areas. They looked to, uh, this is for first time buyers. The best areas are Hillingdon with its parks and open spaces. That came in top thanks to the Crossrail stations or five Crossrail stations it will have when it opens next year. Uh, the average property in this West London borough costs just over 430,000. Number two was Havering in East London. Its average price is just over 385,000, up 5% in the last year. And as well as a string of country parks has three Crossrail stations. Croydon and Hounslow take third and fourth place with Greenwich and Lewisham vying for fifth position. So apart from that, we've got some articles on the PM, and this is all about the Boris. You know, he said that he would allow people not to have to sell their home in order to fund care. We've heard all this before. It was in their election manifesto, wasn't it, that you wouldn't have to sell a relative's home in order to fund their care. Um, he said that nobody needing care should be forced to sell. There's an article in The Times, by the way, uh, pressed during Prime Minister's Question Times by Sir Keir Starmer on how the new policy would meet this pledge. Johnson said it would allow insurance firms to step in. Under the reforms, anyone with assets of more than 100,000 will have to pay the first 86,000 pounds of care costs. Those with assets worth less than this will have their care costs partially subsidised by the state. Skeptical about that. I think we're in the same position, really. You know, people will have to sell their homes in order to fund better care for their relatives. Um, and I don't see that changing because the amounts involved are astronomical. An article in BBC News says house prices have hit a new high. Uh, they say that this is in August and the annual pace of growth has slowed. And this is, as we mentioned earlier now, the average price is 262,954. It wasn't that long ago we were talking about, you know, prices in the 240,000 as average or thereabouts. In the year to August, house prices rose 7.1%. The problem with these statistics is that they do skew because in some parts of the country we've had massive rises and in other parts it's been fairly static. So it's not equal across the country. Uh, it does depend on where you're looking. Apart from that, let's talk about buy-to-let investment. One of the things that we found at the moment is people are looking for buy-to-let investments. They're considering whether to rent their own home out to buy another one. And largely it depends on the value of your home versus the likely rental price, but also the type and style of home you have in your area and whether that lends itself well to the local demand. Um, I'll give you an example. In our area, we sometimes get houses that are the value is in the region of 800,000 to a million. And those houses will get a rental income of around about 2,200 pounds per calendar month. Now, when you think that we could pick up a one bedroom flat or studio, something between the two for between 180,000 and 230,000, let's mean average that as sort of 210,000. And that property at 210,000 can achieve an income of 1,000 per calendar month. 
It doesn't take a genius to work out that you could buy four of those. And get this. so it's crazy um, to that think that you could literally double your income by buying smaller properties. Why? Because the demand is at the lower level. This is where the audience is in our area. We tend to find that young professionals want to be here for commuting into the city. Now, in other areas, the demand will be different. And you need to consider before you invest in a buy select property, whether you're investing in something that will do well in the market. So what you sh should you be looking for and what we sh should you be looking not to buy? I would suggest in our area, particularly larger houses are not a good idea unless you're looking to do a house in multiple occupation. This is where you license it via the local authority and you pay an annual fee to have each room licensed, plus many more costs, including increased fire protection by door closers, um, fire check doors with intumescent strips, hardwired fire alarm systems of a certain type and style, and so on and so forth. Many hurdles to jump through and much more stress and hassle in the experience of our uh, HMO multi-let landlords. It's not an area that we cover. We don't like that sector of the market. We find it's much easier to rent to people who are living there, commuting into the city as a single household. Then you don't have to comply with the HMO rules. The housing multiple occupation rules say that if you have five or more people occupying the house and there are of two or more households, then you're a house in multiple occupation. Doesn't matter how many floors you've got. Used to be that if you've got two floors or less, you're not a house in multiple occupation, but the definition has now changed. So you need to be careful that you don't fall in breach of this because you are committing an offence and it can be easily tripped over. You might let to what you think is a single family and they may do what we call rent to rent where they're renting to others. This is far more likely if you buy a large property and look to rent it out. It's far less likely, of course, if you have a one bedroom flat or a studio where they can't pack them in. You know, um, So our advice is if you're looking for a long term win, on property investment and you're thinking of investing in UK property, Southwest London here, commuter areas like this, which is zone three, are a terrific place to be, but you need to buy right. What you should, should you be looking at for maximum return? You should be looking at studio flats, one bedroom flats and two bedroom flats. Now, studio flats you'll find are the cheapest and offer the best value and the best rental yield. However, when it comes to resale, they will always sell for below the one beds, because obviously if first time buyers can get into the one beds, which they often can, they'll buy a one bed over a studio because they want their separate bedroom and studios can be seen as inverted commas weird to a first time buyer coming out of a family home. Having said that, we find tenants really like them. Why? Because the alternative to a studio flat and a studio flat is one room, which is your bedroom, lounge, and sometimes kitchen as well, but sometimes the kitchen is separate, and your own bathroom. So it's a self-contained flat, but it offers your own facilities, but just one room. Sometimes the best ones have a pull-down bed, so you can pop it up out the way and see how you can live there. It's much easier. And sometimes they don't, and you're literally your bedroom is your lounge, is every other room, if you like, uh, and that can be a tricky place to live. But if you think about it in another way, if you've come from a sharing situation where you're maybe in a house that is a house in multiple occupation, where you're sharing with maybe six or seven others, you might be sharing a bathroom with four five people or more. And in those instances, you know your privacy is out the window, Quite often you find that the personal hygiene of others gets in your way. Um, so it can be a real luxury to have your own space. And this is why studio flats are so popular. So don't think that because a property is a studio flat and it seems a bit strange to you that it wouldn't be popular on the rental market. It's extremely hot, extremely popular and doesn't get that much less 
than a one bedroom flat. Here in Norbury, you can get up to 900 per calendar month for a studio flat, typically 850 per calendar month, where a one bed is around a thousand. So the cost of rental is not that different, but the price, a one bedroom can go up to 250,000 and a studio can be bought for 200,000 or less. It's quite significant. So you might want to consider that. Flip side of that is when you come to sell the studio, of course, it will always achieve less than the one bedroom and won't be quite as popular because the first time buyers don't like the studios. Investors do, though, and the investment market is quite strong, but the investment market is more fickle in that sense. So, you know, do bear in mind that, yes, you can buy a studio for less money. It will always sell on for less. It will be more tricky to sell a studio in a tough market than a one bedroom. Um, but then everything's difficult to sell in a tough market anyway. One bedrooms do have the added advantage of having the first time buyer appeal as well, though. Now, we need to talk about service charges. Service charges are the bane of any flat investor's life. Um, service charges are the annual charge you pay to a managing agent. So imagine you live in a flat. You have a self-contained flat. That flat has shared areas. It might be that you have a communal garden, maybe a lift, communal areas. That is the area that you walk into before you get to your flat front door. These areas will need cleaning. They will need maintaining. Say the roof goes. There will be agreements about who pays for that. But the managing agents will want the money from you as the owner to do any repairs and there are set service charges there are good managing agents and there are bad managing agents but what you need to know as an investor is what to do and what not to do if you're thinking of buy to let and you're thinking of how to get the best value consider buying something which doesn't have a lift that's one of my first rules of thumb what i always say to my buy to let investors why no lift you say what's the problem with lifts well, there's no problem with lifts the only problem is that at some point they will go wrong and guess who's paying and lifts can be extraordinarily expensive to replace and repair. And those will be on the cost of your service charge, including the power required to run them. And then when they break down, it can be terribly inconvenient. If you buy in a smaller block with a stairwell only, then you don't have the costs of maintenance and repair of those lifts. And it can make a huge difference to the likely service charge costs. Of course, the other thing we have now with the cladding scandal is looking out for the building to have its EWS1. And this is about fire safety, making sure that it's been through its post-Grenfell checks. Uh, this traditionally or typically is where you have four or more stories now and make sure there's no fire safety issues that might cost you money going forwards. The other thing to look for is what the service charges are and why. You know, we have some blocks in our area where the service charges are double uh, the same uh, block the same type and style of block as another one block might be a thousand pounds a year and the neighboring block might be two thousand pounds a year now of course this impacts on the value of those blocks so the one with the higher service charge will be cheaper to buy but of course you're paying for it every year that you own it whether you're renting it out by the way service charges do fall to landlords not to tenants so it is your responsibility to pay those so look very carefully at the service charges look at the every year a management company will have a meeting and that meeting will discuss what's to be done. So look for the minutes of the last meeting so that you can see what's coming up, what issues there are at the moment. The minutes of residences company meetings or residents meetings with the managing agents can be quite revealing. You can find out whether there are any issues, what the likely issues are, future maintenance programs, whether there's any money in the pot. When you buy a property that has uh, managing agent or is a leasehold, you will get what we call 
the leasehold inquiry pack and it's well worth scrutinizing that to get an idea of what's going on what the service charges are what you should get from the managing agent is the last three years accounts which will give you a very good idea of what's what in terms of what they're paying for on an annual basis and you can make your own judgment as to whether you feel that is reasonable just look at the budget look at the big figure and divide it by the percentage that you pay so what will typically happen is your flat may be 30 percent of the overall charge so look at the overall charge and then calculate what a third of that is and see if you think that represents fair value and if you're not comfortable with it then you know you need to consider that but you need to think about the fact that all things need paying for and if you're in a large lot with luxury facilities then you have to expect that there will be costs attached to these things uh, but if you're a buy to let investor these things can erode your profit very quickly so be really careful preferably buy something low rise with three stories or less and preferably with no lifts and a low service charge or a masonette where you have your own front door and the costs or indeed a conversion flat where you just have a share of costs and the outgoings per annum can be quite low an ideal situation is where you own a share of the freehold this isn't always possible the beauty of owning a share of the freehold as well as your lease is that you get to employ the managing agents so if those managing agents that you've employed are not reasonable, then actually they're at your mercy and you at the meeting could suggest that they're replaced with another. Uh, and that power means that the charges that you'll pay will tend to be lower. And if there are any large works coming up or what we call major works, then you have more control over what goes on. Any major works you should get at what we call a Section 20 notice anyway, uh, providing their intention to go ahead and do works. But you should be checking to see whether you think those things are reasonable and if they're not challenging them. I hope that's of some help. So our advice is if you're looking certainly in our area for a buy to let investment and want a reasonable return for your money and you want something that has a reasonable chance of, of growth in the medium term, then flats are the way to go. But flats with low outgoings. Houses, if you're buying houses in this area, there's some great small houses up to 400,000. If you're looking for something that's a bit cheaper around the sort of three, two to three hundred thousand, then flats are your only option with us here in Southwest 16, for instance. But if you can afford it and you can get into the freehold territory, if you look up to four hundred thousand, then we've got some great little freehold choices for you, which take out that whole leasehold complication level. But of course, you have to be there in the first place. And, you know, the secret to property investment, we've said it for a long time now, it, time. It's just time. If you hold on to something for long enough, the way the market is here in the UK with inflation and particularly house price inflation and rents, you'll find that it's a winner for you in more ways than one. I don't know any landlords that we've had that haven't seen huge house price growth and huge rental growth in the medium term. And many of these people are using it for their pensions. They've retired early. They've done other things with their life. They've left the country. I even had one guy once that approached me and said, oh, when I've paid off my mortgage, I wish to retire and play golf because I'm a scratch golfer. I'm going to go to Thailand and uh, travel around playing golf. And that's my dream. And I said, well, why are you waiting? Why don't we do it now? We refinanced his house with a buy to let investment. And he went off to Thailand. That was 10 years ago. He's had 10 years of living off that rental income and living his dream before retirement. So it just goes to show, you know, I'm not one of these that will say to you, you know, buy a property and realize your dreams. But it is true. Some people do realize their goals in life through 
rental property investment. And it's certainly a good thing to do. We manage hundreds in the local area and most tenants are decent. Most landlords are decent too. And they look after the properties and will pay on a regular, reliable basis. And if you've got a good managing agent, they'll make sure that that rental comes through regularly for you and make sure you comply. And the value of a good managing agent is not to be underestimated because the compliance these days is much more significant than it used to be. You, know, you do need to make sure that you've proved the deposit. You do need to make sure you've got all the paperwork in order, your ducks in a row, so to speak. And that includes the electrical installation condition report, the gas safety certificate, which is an annual requirement, the energy performance certificate, proof of where and how the deposit is held, the how to rent guide, um, the deposit scheme rules. All these things need to be in place. And if you're not sure, it can be easier to employ a managing agent to do these things. And that's on top of the fact, of course, that question, do you want the call from a tenant saying there's a problem or would you rather someone else dealt with it? Bearing in mind that managing agents fees come off of your profit anyway before tax. So in other words, you can offset those costs anyway in the tax that you pay at the year end so the cost to you is not the full cost of the managing agent's fee because that comes off your rental profit before you declare your profit so that's the reason why i think that you should consider employing a management agent because for the net cost to you the benefit is so much higher and then you don't have to worry about compliance and the great thing about that is that means you're at that point virtually doing nothing and the great thing about doing nothing is that you can do it time and time again. And what I mean by that is it's a passive income. And where you've got passive income, you're able to then do that in multiple times. You know, we had another landlord who came to us and was very proud that he had an asset which was unencumbered, which was worth a substantial amount of money. And I suggested to him that that's great that he's got this wonderful asset and he's got all this cash in it, but he's not using it wisely. And he understood what I said, went and bought a couple of properties, got the feel for it. And ended up with a portfolio of 10. And again, you know, in his case, it just changed his life completely. And so there are things that you can do to change your life. You do have to be bold enough to take the first step, go over the line and decide that you're going to, going to go into property rental investment. I don't know anyone that's done it and regretted it, apart from those that have done it and done it in an unwise fashion, i.e. bought the wrong kind of property accepted a poor tenant and so on and so forth generally speaking things can go wrong along the way yes but generally speaking for the vast majority of landlords there are good profits to be had for a minimal input and that's the key isn't it when we do our daily work we can only work for so many hours doesn't matter what your hourly rate is there are only so many hours in a day but the beauty of a passive investment like rental property is that you can do it multiple times how do you do it multiple times? Well, you invest in one. And then as the property value grows, quite often people will refinance that asset. Um, and because it's a buy to let, you can do that on a multiple basis on interest only, as opposed to having to repay. And then with that money, you can then use that as a deposit for the next one. And very quickly, that multiple growth can help you to grow your business. And you grow your business in a way that actually makes people think by buying more property, it becomes harder. But in fact, it becomes easier. If you've got one property and your tenant defaults on the rent, that's a massive problem. If you've got four properties and your tenant defaults on the rent, that is more than absorbed by the other three and you're still in profit. So that's it for this week. Hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks very much for listening once again to the Property Buyer and Sellers podcast. Next week, we're back. Same time, same place. Until then, thanks for listening. Stay safe and well. 
Thank you so much for joining us on yet another edition of the Property Buyer and Sellers Podcast. You can find out more at our website, jamesalexander.com. You can email me directly, ken at jamesalexander.com. We are estate agents and we can give you hints, tips, tricks and advice wherever you're buying, selling, moving to or from. Thanks to Ben Sounds for the intro and outro today and thanks to Jack Bowles for production.